0: In this week's episode, Kate Perry, a partner at RBP, is joined by Oliver Newin from Quilter Financial Advisors. They will be discussing recent budget changes to both lifetime and annual allowances. They also cover the opportunities still offered by Historic Protections. Accountancy on Prescription by RBP one of the leading firms of medical specialist accountants. We know what you find tough, but don't you worry, as we know our stuff.
1: Hello, and welcome to this episode of Accountancy on Prescription. Today, I'm joined again by Oliver Newing, who is a financial planner, and he specializes in advising NHS professionals. Hello, Ollie. It's great to have you back again.
2: Hi, Kate. It's great to be back. Thanks very much for inviting me back to the podcast.
1: So, Ollie, perhaps you could start by just explaining to the listeners what your specialism is and how you are such an expert in the NHS pension.
2: Sure. So, I'm a financial planner by profession. I help clients with their financial journey, basically understanding where they are currently today, what they're looking to achieve, and how they manage their financial assets to be able to achieve that. I work through an organisation called Quilter Financial Advisors, effectively run my own practice through QFA, and I work almost exclusively with NHS doctors, so GPs and hospital consultants. I've done that since 2012. A common theme for all of my clients is that they're NHS pension members, and therefore it's important that I have an expert understanding about how the scheme works and how individual members can manage it to their best longer-term advantage.
1: Okay. Okay. So we've fairly recently, well not so recently now, had the budget and as most people are probably aware, there were some fairly significant changes surrounding pensions in general really, both with regard to the lifetime allowance and the annual allowance levels. So perhaps you could just explain and clarify for everyone what the recent budget changed in that respect.
2: Generally, it was an excellent budget. That's not been the case very much in recent years. You know, the pattern of change over the last decade or so has been a tightening of pensions allowances on a kind of piecemeal basis, but gradually making it less and less tax efficient to save into pensions, albeit it's always very, very tax efficient, but they've been much, much less generous. I kind of physically felt my jaw drop as I was watching Jeremy Hunt deliver the budget live. I think lots of people I've spoken to, both doctors who were taking a particular interest this time and obviously colleagues of mine in financial services, because we'd had good foresight, if you like, in terms of expectations were measured that there was going to be some quite seismic changes to pension allowances. And I think he went beyond what most people were expecting.
1: I remember myself, actually, as you say, jaw dropping, that he actually removed it. Completely. I don't think anyone expected that at all, did they?
2: Yeah, and it was almost the way he presented it as well. There's a bit of showmanship in there, I think, because as I was watching it live, I thought to myself, "Oh, perhaps he's he's going to make a U-turn on this. And the expectations that we had beforehand were completely misplaced. But as you say, there was an abolition of the lifetime allowance. So the immediate change from 6 April of this year is that any lifetime allowance tax charges would be removed. And then through a future finance bill, the lifetime allowance will be completely abolished in due course. And that was partnered with an increase to the annual allowance as well. So some really, really positive news that's going to make significant impact on the value of the pensions being accrued by NHS doctors.
1: Yeah, so we can talk later perhaps about what impact that really had. But for those, because I know our clients, whenever we talk about NHS pensions and superannuations, you know, half of them just immediately glaze over and don't really understand all the terminology or really how the whole thing is working. So perhaps you could explain exactly what is the lifetime allowance and how does it affect people?
2: Yeah, so the lifetime allowance was originally introduced on the 6th of April, 2006, when there were, again, fairly seismic pension taxation changes, that particular day was known as A-Day, and the introduction of the lifetime allowance effectively put a cap on the amounts of pension savings an individual could hold during their lifetime before incurring a tax charge on any excess. The limit in 2006 was set at 1.5 million, it was projected to increase over a number of years thereafter and did so to 1.8 million between 2010-2012 when it was at its highest level. And since 2012, gradually it's been reduced by successive governments down to a minimum level in 1617 17 of 1 million and then to the most recent level where it was frozen at just over 1.073 million. So that was the level that it was set at prior to the most recent budgets and the announcement of its abolition. In terms of what that means, so a a lifetime limit on your savings, if you hold personal pensions or defined contribution pensions, and and most NHS pension members probably don't, but there will be some people that have built up personal pensions as a supplement to their main NHS pension scheme, then it's just the valuation. Those are pensions which are invested into funds and you test the value of those pensions, those investments, against the lifetime allowance at the point that you crystallise, i.e. at the point that you start to take benefits from them, and if there's any excess, there's a tax charge on that excess. Within a defined benefit pension, which is the type of scheme that the NHS pension sits within, so this is a pension that doesn't have an underlying investment that the member has to manage or monitor, as the name suggests, the benefits of that pension is defined at the point that a contribution is made. So NHS pension members, their contribution alongside an employer contribution and that buys a guaranteed amount of pension that will be paid at a certain age. So in terms of valuing a defined benefit pension, it's accounted for in a slightly different way. To calculate the capital value, you look at the pension that's accrued at any given moment, including the point of crystallisation when the pension is taken. You multiply that annual pension by 20 and then you add any pension commencement lump sum or tax-free cash entitlement at the point of crystallisation. And 20 times pension plus lump sum gives you the capital value, and it's that capital value that was tested against the available lifetime allowance at that time. Again, if there's any excess, there's a tax charge on the excess, which would reduce the pension in payment thereafter.
1: I was just going to say, just to clarify, maybe for those who are less understanding of the pension scheme and how it works for doctors, as far as our clients are concerned, the pension is sort of based on their annual earnings uplifted each year. Isn't that right? So it's what we call the, the care scheme, the career average revalued
2: earnings scheme. Earnings exactly scheme.
1: That. So for the perhaps more junior doctors who are perhaps listening to this and trying to get their head around some of these terms and things, would you agree it's sort of basically their pensionable income on an year by year basis that's sort of added together and revalued for inflation, which is really why we say the NHS pension scheme is such a valuable scheme because it is protected from inflation, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's a fabulous scheme, despite the punitive taxation in recent years, which absolutely is imperfect. And we, alongside BMA and lots of other interested parties, have argued that there is unfairness in the tax system of NHS pensions. But despite that, I typically will advise my clients, it is the best vehicle to produce retirement income regardless of the taxation that may or may not be incurred. And one method of describing a defined benefit pension, so to broadly you get two types of pension. You've got a, a defined contribution pension, which predominantly is available in the private sector. And then you've got defined benefit pensions, which were available in the private sector, but they're so generous and unsustainable, they've kind of been phased out. But public sector pensions still work on that basis. It's a really, really important part of the remuneration for NHS doctors, and it produces excellent retirement income that probably can't be replicated by defined contribution schemes via other employers. For GPs, it's always the accrual of the benefit has always been calculated based upon a career average revalued earning basis. For hospital consultants, a large part of their historic schemes has been based on final salary. But actually, a career average revalued earning scheme you could argue is particularly generous because every single year that rises with inflation. So in the recent past where we've seen and currently you know, persisting, we see 42-year high inflation. These pensions are working incredibly hard to hold value and to mitigate the impact of this cost of living crisis, which you just wouldn't have that kind of availability via other type of personal pensions or defined contribution schemes through other employers. So it's a fabulous scheme. And because there's no underlying investment, the member incurs no investment risk. It's a guaranteed retirement income, which is a really key feature of why it's so favorable. There has to be a different way of calculating it, or there was a different way of calculating the value for lifetime allowance purposes. So again, for lifetime allowance purposes, it's calculated based on if your pension is X, it's 20 multiples of that plus any tax-free cash, because the secondary benefit you get is the ability not just to have an annual income, throughout your retirement guaranteed on a lifetime basis but also there's some flexibility so that you can take some larger lump sum payments which are tax-free at the point of retirement as well.
1: Yes yeah, so I was just going to check with you so as you were talking about we do certainly have a lot of hospital consultants now so their scheme has now moved over to this new scheme because I think some of them may not be aware am I correct in that?
2: Yeah so typically members will have membership in two sections of the scheme yeah. they'll either be a member of the 1995 or the 2008 scheme and then they will be a member of the 2015 scheme so the 95 and 2008 schemes were the early part of their membership those memberships are now deferred so they're no longer adding new benefits to those schemes although they will rise to protect against future inflationary increases the new benefits goes into the care scheme for both hospital consultants and GPs. Historically, hospital consultants' earlier schemes were linked to their final salary rather than a career average basis. So the mechanics of the accrual is slightly different, but now everybody is accruing new benefits in the scheme yeah. in the same 2015 scheme, which is set up on a care basis, career average, revalued earnings basis.
1: All right. Sorry, I just wanted to clarify that. So before we had this change in the budget, you mentioned all these different Levels of the lifetime allowance, which went as high as 1.8 and came down. So, I do remember that we had clients who were able to protect those levels. So, even as those limits started to come down, they were able to protect those levels. Now, presumably, with the change in the budget, they might consider that they don't need to worry about those protections if they are. But perhaps you could explain to those listening exactly what. I'm actually talking about by these protections. And I know that there were, because I remember back to 2006 and the later years, we had fixed protection, enhanced protection, individual protection. There were all sorts of different protections, all with different years and ways of working out whether you were eligible to claim it or not eligible to claim it. So perhaps you could go through and explain what those protections were, what they were protecting you for. And then when we've gone through that, now that we've had this budget change, know whether clients still need to be concerned about whether they have or haven't got these protections and whether they're still in the position where they can try and get the protection if it's still available. So should we start with what all the different protections were? Because I remember getting really confused at the time myself. I had to keep going back to a financial advisor and saying, Can you just remind me what all these protections actually relate to? Because it did get really quite confusing, didn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, the introduction of the protections was at the point that they changed the legislation and the taxation. So every round of change, generally speaking, some protection has been offered to individuals that might be affected by that change. And the primary rationale behind the introduction of the protections is that governments and HMRC didn't want to retrospectively penalize people as a result of the change of rules. Clearly, you know people plan. And one of the age-old problems with retirement and pension planning is that generally you're planning over decades. So it can be quite unfair if you've had a plan in place and you're managing your financial plan, your retirement plan, to a set of rules, and then suddenly the rules change and it's to your detriment. And that's recognized by governments when they make these changes. So they offer protection. So, the initial protection was introduced at A Day, so that date in 2006 when they introduced the lifetime allowance in the first place. And the most generous protection at that stage was something known as enhanced protection. And what enhanced protection did was it effectively removed lifetime allowance tax charges for certain individuals. At that point in time, anybody could apply for enhanced protection. And if they retained their enhanced protection to the point of retirement and at the point that they took their pension benefits, even if their benefits were in excess of the lifetime allowance, they wouldn't incur lifetime allowance tax charges. So it's incredibly generous in that sense.
1: So no, no ceiling at all?
2: Actually, there was a ceiling. Technically, there was a ceiling. It's just that the tax charge wouldn't become liable. So they would still test the benefits against the lifetime allowance. But if there was a tax charge, it just wasn't liable for it. Exactly. So what that meant was, first and foremost, there was a benefit to anyone who held Enhanced Protection at the point that they ultimately crystallised their benefits. They would have a tax-free cash entitlement of up to £375,000. That's 25% of £1.5 million, which was the first level of lifetime allowance that was introduced. And potentially, Enhanced Protection could offer you tax-free cash above that level if in 2006, you already had a tax-free cash entitlement that was above that level. Now, with enhanced protection, anyone could apply for it regardless of the value of their benefits on that date, but it would become invalidated in certain circumstances. So if you joined another pension scheme or made a personal pension contribution after the 6th of April 2006, you would immediately invalidate enhanced protection. It's slightly more complicated for defined benefit pension members, such as the NHS pension members who probably are listening to this podcast. For them, it was driven by the accrual of their benefits within certain limits between the point that they obtained enhanced protection and the point that they retired. So there would be a test of their benefits at the point that they retire. And if the benefits had grown above the allowable limit during the interim, then enhanced protection would be invalidated at that point. Now, for GP clients, assuming they remained in the same scheme, so those members who had applied for enhanced protection would have been members of the 1995 section of the scheme. Provided they retired and they hadn't joined a new section of the NHS pension scheme, such as the 2008 or 2015, then the likelihood is, the reality is, they wouldn't have invalidated their enhanced protection. So it's potentially very, very valuable for GP members who acquired it. Albeit, you can't now go back and retrospectively apply for it. You only had until 2009. So there's likely to be some GP members who are moving towards the end of their careers, perhaps likely to crystallise their benefits fairly soon, that may have applied for enhanced protection. It still might be valid, but critically, it would have been invalidated if they joined the 2015 scheme.
1: Okay, and how might somebody remember whether they've actually had this or did make this claim?
2: So you would have to have made an application to HMRC before April 2009 in order to acquire enhanced protection, and you would have been provided with a certificate. And on that right. certificate, there is a number that you would include in your application for NHS pensions, assuming it's still valid. That was some time ago. So if you don't recall, or you do recall but can't find the certificate, mm. it's worthwhile reaching out to HMRC to right. confirm whether you do have enhanced
1: protection in place. Right. And what I can confirm is that HMRC, in theory, do have that information because I have had a couple of clients who have had enhanced protection, and they've had letters from HMRC saying that they, in their opinion, they had thought that enhanced protection had been lost. They put the onus on the client to confirm whether that was the case or to prove, if you like, that they for some reason, had not lost their protection because, of course, one of the things with these protections, part of taking it out is that you did sign up to agree that if you knew yourself that you had lost that protection, you had 90 days, I think, to inform HMRC that you had lost it. But of course, you know, going back to 2006, I'm very sure that a lot of clients have even forgotten that they signed this documentation. I mean, we were over 15 years ago. And if they had, they probably had also forgotten that they'd signed up to the fact that they had to inform HMRC that they'd lost it. Now, before anyone suddenly panics, (laughs) because a lot of people have, as you've just mentioned, may well have now joined the 2015 scheme. Although they have said that there would be penalties for not informing them, as far as we're concerned, HMRC are being fairly relaxed about this and just are trying to clarify whether people have or haven't lost. And there shouldn't really be any penalties involved if you forgot to give them that 90 day notice, which I've no doubt that the majority of people, if they should have informed HMRC, may not. But it may be that people listening will get these letters from HMRC. So I don't know if they're doing a special exercise of checking whether people have got it. But of course, they may put that all on hold now because it's now, as it stands at the moment, it wouldn't be relevant anyway, of course. so But maybe we'll come on to that as to whether it may or may not still still be relevant.
2: Yeah, I think the key to understand is that if you're a member of the NHS pension scheme, particularly a GP member of the NHS pension scheme, and you haven't joined another scheme, including another section of the NHS pension scheme, then your enhanced protection should still stand. But if you have made any type of personal pension contribution, AVC, joined the new section of the NHS scheme, most notably 2015, potentially 2008 as well, and you've held enhanced protection, you will have invalidated. So I think, I think the best steps for someone in that scenario is, first and foremost, do I have it? And if I do have it, it's worth seeking some advice to make sure that that's still valid or if there's anything you need to do in order to correct your record with HMRC.
1: Yes, because I have had another client who I think was involved in teaching and they joined, whether it was a university hospital or something, and they got auto-enrolled because, of course, that's one of the pitfalls sometimes that that people don't realise. And I did actually have another client who got caught where she realised she'd been auto-enrolled, knew that she couldn't, but the employer didn't stop the pension in good time. And she, again, got one of these letters from HMRC arguing that they thought she'd lost it. But I think she managed to confirm that she'd done everything within her power to say she shouldn't have been auto enrolled. And it was just the employer who messed up their payroll scheme. You're,
2: you're right to highlight auto enrolment, though. You know, it's something that people should be very well aware of if they're joining new employers or their yep. employment circumstances are changing. If you hold enhanced Protection EP and you're auto enrolled into a pension scheme, and you make contributions into that pension scheme as a result of that auto enrolment, it will invalidate the enhanced protection that you hold. And the value of the enhanced protection potentially is significantly greater than the pension contributions that might be going into an auto enrolled contract. So these are things that are really, really important to consider.
1: So what are the other protections that people might have and potentially might still offer some sort of benefit?
2: Yeah, so post A Day, when the lifetime allowance was introduced and there were some protections introduced at that stage, thereafter, initially the lifetime allowance increased. From 2012, it was reduced and it was reduced on separate occasions at different times. So at each point that they reduced the lifetime allowance, they did so firstly in 2012, when it reduced from 1.8 to 1.5 million. Again in 2014, when it reduced from 1.5 to 1.25 million. And then again in 2016, when it reduced from 1.25 to 1 million. So at each point that it reduced, protection was offered. The first reduction in 2012, there was something known as fixed protection. And then in the second two occasions, 2014 and 2016, there was again fixed protection, but they also offered individual protection at that time. So to describe what those two different protections offered, first and foremost, fixed protection Enabled you to protect your lifetime allowance at the earlier figure at the point of reduction. So, if we think about 2012, the lifetime allowance then reduced from 1.8 to 1.5. For individuals that applied for fixed protection at that point in time, they were able to retain the earlier limit. So, in that scenario, it would have been retained at 1.8. However, the condition of retaining fixed protection was that you couldn't then make additional pension contributions. If you did, you would immediately invalidate the fixed protection and you would come down to the lifetime allowance level on the day thereafter.
1: So that's any pension contribution whatsoever?
2: Exactly. So really the purpose, if you think about fixed protection, who would that have benefited? That would have benefited, let's say someone was in their late 40s, they had pension savings, they, they built up by occupational defined contribution or personal pension schemes. And let's say that their pension was worth 1.5 million at that point in time. There's not gonna be a huge amounts of people in that situation, but hypothetically, let's imagine that individual. So they know that they're not gonna retire maybe for another 10 years. And they know that over that time their 1.5 million pound pension might grow through investment returns to 1.8 or beyond. So they're not gonna make any more pension contributions they're just going to fix their limit at 1.8 and allow the growth to take them up to 1.8 and therefore have no lifetime allowance tax charge or or a smaller lifetime allowance tax charge if the growth takes them beyond 1.8. But for those that want to make ongoing pension contributions, that wouldn't have been appropriate. And if you think about the NHS pension scheme, a defined benefit scheme, we've talked about how significantly valuable it is, how favourable it is in comparison to a defined contribution scheme. Actually, if the NHS pension scheme goes above the lifetime allowance, it's still a good scheme. It's still a scheme that's worthwhile adding more value to. So fixed protection wouldn't have been a particularly good protection for you because you're not really overly concerned necessarily about going above the lifetime allowance. There's there's a big myth, and I've heard this countless times, lost count over the last decade of NHS GPs predominantly that have said to me, I've hit my lifetime limit, I've come out of the scheme. It's far, far, far too simplified. I often explain um, at a high level that if you're under the lifetime allowance your pension is exceptional if you go above the lifetime allowance your pension is very very good so there's not a good reason to come out of a very very good pension scheme
1: no and i think a- we get the same we get a lot of clients saying you know have i hit the lifetime allowance you know what shall i do should i come out and and i know from talking to you that you never recommend that that is a reason for coming out of the pension scheme just going over the lifetime allowance
2: There's very few good reasons for a member to come out of the NHS pension scheme. And I've come across very few people where that's an advisable course of action, regardless of the circumstances. And certainly, if an individual needs more retirement income, they don't yet have enough retirement income, so they're on that journey as they work through their career to accrue more retirement income. If they're in that position, then the NHS pension is the best vehicle with which to produce that income, regardless of where you are against lifetime allowance, annual allowance, it's the best vehicle because there's no risk applied to it. There's no underlying investment risk. It's a guaranteed amount of income that will then be index linked all the way through retirement. So if you live to 100 every year, that income is going to rise with inflation through your period of retirement. That's very difficult to mirror outside of the scheme. So if you work on the basis that being above the lifetime allowance in isolation is never a good reason to come out of the pension scheme, the NHS pension scheme, then really you want to be able to continue contributing to it regardless of whether you're below or above the lifetime allowance and therefore a fixed protection wasn't really applicable to nhs doctors and their pension schemes individual protection works in a different way so individual protection enabled an individual to acquire an individual amount of lifetime allowance based upon the value of their pension the capital value of their pension at the point that the lifetime allowance reduced So if we go back to 2014, when the first round of individual protection was introduced, the lifetime allowance at this point was reducing from 1.5 to 1.25 million. So on the day that it went from 1.5 to 1.25, a hypothetical member who had a capital value of their pension of 1.4 million at that point suddenly went from a position that they were under the allowance to over it in one day. They went from under 1.5 to over 1.25 on one day. And what the government recognised was it was unfair to retrospectively penalise that individual. So that individual could apply for individual protection, which would give them a personal lifetime allowance of £1.4 equal to their capital value on that day. And that member could continue to contribute to the pension scheme. They're effectively accepting that they're going to have a lifetime allowance tax charge, but they recognise that accruing benefits above the lifetime allowance is still in their interest, but they want to get as much lifetime allowance as possible. And the second round of individual protection and fixed protection for that matter, more relevant to this call, individual protection, was introduced in 2016. That was at the point that the lifetime allowance came down from 1.25 to 1 million. So anybody who had a capital value above 1 million, between 1 million and 1.25 million, or even above that level if they haven't acquired individual protection from 2014, still has the ability to apply for individual protection. And in order to be able to do that, they would need to write to the NHS pensions, ask for an individual protection valuation, individual protection 2016 valuation. I think there's a fee for £120 to acquire that. They will send them the valuation. And if that's above 1.073 million now, then that is worth acquiring because it offers some flexibility today in terms of potentially increasing their lump sum when they come to retire.
1: So just to recap then, so a member whose capital value of their pension is above what was the most recent lifetime allowance or the lifetime allowance in 2016, which was a million and whatever the extra.
2: Yeah, so in 2016, it went down to one million. It then subsequently rose with inflation over a couple of years before Rishi Sunak, his chancellor, froze it a couple of years ago. So it rose with inflation to a figure of 1.0731 million, 1,073,100 pounds. So
1: their capital value needs to be at that level or just over the million in order for them to enable them to be able to get this protection. So basically, what I'm trying to say is, anyone listening whose capital value of their pension in 2016 so we are going back quite a long way if in that year it was below a million pounds then this isn't available to them
2: it's irrelevant and and it's worthwhile highlighting what the relevance is now because we started this podcast talking about the fact that a lifetime allowance has been abolished so yes what what's the value in having exactly protection historically given that they've now abolished lifetime allowance but the value comes into the fact related to the lump sum entitlement So when an individual comes to retire, they can take some tax-free cash from their pension, whether that be a personal pension or whether it be a defined benefit pension like the NHS. So they can take their benefits as an annual income, or in addition to that, they can take a certain proportion as tax-free cash. And the tax-free cash is limited, has been historically limited, to 25% of the available lifetime allowance of the member. Now, the lifetime allowance has now been abolished, so there isn't going to be a lifetime allowance tax charge. But the amount of tax free cash someone can take is still set at the previous limit. So it's still 25% of the most recent lifetime allowance, 1.073,100. And that equates to 268,275. However, if you have individual protection, fixed protection, enhanced protection of any form and it's still valid, whatever the value of your protection is, your tax free cash availability is equal to 25% of that. So if someone has enhanced protection at 1.5 million, let's say, then they can have £375,000 worth of tax-free cash as opposed to 268000 If someone has individual protection 2016, then they can take £312,000 worth of tax-free cash as opposed to two hundred sixty-eight. So for anyone who hasn't applied for individual protection 2016 but is entitled to it, then the advantage to them is that they might be able to get some more tax-free cash when they come to retire.
1: Right. So it's well worth investigating and seeing where you sit.
2: Absolutely.
1: Going back to 2016. So I think we've probably covered all the lifetime allowance protections, but there were other changes to the budget, particularly I'm thinking of the annual allowance because... One of the issues was the lifetime allowance, and people weren't wanting or thinking that it wasn't right to continue contributing to their pension because of the lifetime allowance. But I know for our clients, a lot of the issue is the annual allowance, and the fact that some of our higher earning clients were getting significant, really, really significant tax charges because they had surpassed the annual allowance. And then we would have to do for most of them, we did scheme pay elections, which, of course, then reduced the overall pension that they might get at the end of the day. So can you perhaps explain what other changes were made to benefit our clients with regard to the annual allowance? Because I know that's for some of them a concern irrelevant of what's happened with the lifetime allowance.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, the standard annual allowance for pension savings has increased from 40 to 60,000. So that's quite a significant increase. And what what that means is defined benefit pension members, such as those within the NHS, are now allowed to have 60,000 pounds worth of growth in their benefits every year before they incur a tax charge. For those involved with defined contribution schemes, they can invest up to 60,000 pounds assuming they've got that amount of income into defined contribution pensions again, and acquire full tax relief. So it's a really significant enhancement to the tax-efficient savings that can be made annually to put towards retirement. And one of the big opportunities or potential opportunities here is that with the abolition of the lifetime allowance and the enhancement to annual allowable growth on a tax-free basis, potentially the possibility of making additional pension contributions above and beyond the defined benefit NHS pension scheme comes back into play. Now, I would caveat that with what we've learnt in the past is that the rules have changed against members that have taken those sensible steps, and that could, of course, happen in the future again. So it's difficult to second guess what a future government might do. But even avoiding that possible opportunity, having more tax-free growth allowable within the NHS scheme reduces the likelihood of annual tax charges and it reduces the severity of any annual tax charges that might have been incurred in relation to NHS pension membership for higher earning doctors that means that that's going to reduce the cost of membership or it's going to enhance the actual pension that ultimately comes into payment so it's a real positive change and the final thing i would say on that is because the annual allowance has had such a significant uplift what happens is if you use your full annual allowance in a given year and use of that allowance is very variable within a fine benefit scheme like the NHS you're able to go back over the three earlier years and carry forward. So whilst it now is less likely that people will exceed their annual allowance, they hopefully now have the opportunity to build up some carry forward so that if there are excesses in the future, they've got carry forward that again enables them to avoid or certainly minimise tax charges. So the tax efficiency of NHS pension membership has increased significantly as a result of that change.
1: But the increase in that, does that start as of today? So if today you've got some unused relief from before, is that still at the lower 40,000 limit? So you can only start accruing this higher level from when it got introduced. And what about for the higher earning? We've still got taper of this allowance, don't we?
2: That's right. Yeah. So the rules broadly prior to this tax year were that if you were a higher earning doctor with taxable income above £200,000, you potentially lost some of your annual allowance. So that created an imperfect storm, really, because if you're earning significant income that leaves you with taxable income above £200,000, that probably means you've got big pension growth anyway, but that might have been partnered with a reduced annual allowance for tax-free growth. So you've got big pension growth, but potentially a very small proportion of that was tax-free, which was leading to Very punitive tax charges, and was a real concern to many, many doctors. That the minimum pension allowance last tax year was four thousand pounds. So we all start with a standard forty thousand, but that could have been tapered down to four thousand for very high-earning GPs and hospital consultants. In the new tax year, the test of taxable income is still set at two hundred thousand pounds. That's known as a threshold income test. So if your taxable income is above two hundred thousand pounds, you are still potentially liable to a reduced pensions annual allowance. But you then need to add your pension growth in year to whatever your taxable income is. And you only start to lose allowance if those two figures added together, which are known as adjusted income, is above 260,000, whereas previously it was 240,000. And you've also got a £60,000 allowance to start with in the first place from which to be potentially tapered, whereas it was 40,000 previously. And the final thing to point out is the minimum allowance previously, if you've suffered the full taper, would have gone down to 4,000. The minimum taper now is 10,000. So everybody, regardless of their income, will have at least 10,000 pounds worth of tax-free growth. So that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be any annual allowance tax charges. It doesn't mean that they might not be quite significant as well. But it does mean that they're less likely and likely to be less severe, which is very, very positive. And again, further enhances the tax efficiency of pension membership.
1: Yes, well, I think most of our clients will certainly see quite significant benefits from these changes. So I think we've probably exhausted everything to do with lifetime allowances and protections. So I don't think we've got anything further to say on that. The
2: the only other thing I would say is, first and foremost, and this kind of goes without saying, obviously, in the course of this podcast, I'm not providing any financial advice. This is kind of generic, high level information. But I would encourage, NHS pension members, particularly doctors with significant earnings, to review their NHS pension in detail. There's a number of good reasons for that. One, often there are errors on the pension record at NHS pension. So there's lots of doctors that have incurred tax charges they shouldn't have done, and those can be corrected. Secondly, it's important to understand the value of the NHS pension and by going through a review and understanding a kind of projection of benefits through to retirement, it really does illustrate how important pension membership is. And crucially, from a financial planning perspective, if we don't just depend on the information from NHS pensions, we also look to take some professional advice around pension membership, we can understand where we're likely to end up with the pension And that can be related to broader financial planning to make sure that you're managing it in the most optimal way. And on that point, you know, I I know from experience, RBP provide a fantastic pensions report. And I'm very happy to offer guidance around that report for clients who receive it and, and want some advice in relation to how that relates to their broader financial planning.
1: Well, I know that a lot of our clients have taken advantage of our new pension report. And I think, Ollie, you've helped quite a lot of them with guiding them as to what they can do for the future with regard to pension planning. And obviously that can lead to general financial planning for them, their future and their families as well. So,
2: yeah, my final point would be it's it's a fantastic scheme and taking the time to understand it and to make sure you're getting everything from it is a very worthwhile exercise. Yes.
1: Okay. well, thank you very much, Ollie. I think we'll leave it there. I think that's given quite a lot of detail to everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast, please note that we've got a whole series of podcasts going back. If you would like to like and subscribe to all our future podcasts, please do so. And I shall now say goodbye and goodbye to Ollie. Thanks, Kate. See
2: you soon. Nice
0: to see you. Thank you. Bye. You have been listening to RBP's Accountancy on Prescription podcast. For any updates, please visit www.rbp.co.uk or follow us on Twitter at rbpca. The contents of this podcast is for general guidance and informational purposes only and does not constitute any form of advice. The information provided by RBP is of a general nature. Appropriate and tailored advice or independent research should be obtained before making any decisions. RBP does not accept any liability for any loss or damage which is incurred from you acting or not acting as a result of listening to accountancy on prescription.